In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a, a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and it's trustworthy. We thank you that from it we find out about who you are. We find out about uh, what you have done, what you are doing and what you're going to do. 
We thank you that as we read these words, they are words of hope. They're words that um, can excite us and um, they're words that can um, thrill us and encourage us. And so we pray just as we unpack your word that you would speak that truth to us and uh, that we might again gaze upon you and see how wonderful you are. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm setting a timer, which means there might be radars today, not crickets. Okay, um, so we um, are in the new, this new series in um, Advent, and what we're going to be uh, doing is um, looking and longing, uh, along with those who are receiving um, or involved in this story, the long-anticipated arrival of Jesus. So something of Advent is waiting. So if you're a child and um, Advent is taking place and you've got one of those calendars, what are you waiting for? Tell me. Pardon? Christmas. You're waiting for Christmas, but like in specifically, like as you're opening the calendars, what are you particularly waiting for? The chocolate, that's right. And you're particularly waiting to see number 25 looks bigger than the rest. And I want to see what that chocolate is going to look like. I want to see what that chocolate is going to taste like. Um, so there's something of anticipation, of excitement, of longing uh, that is Advent. And that's why we're, we're, we're taking a little bit more time. Uh, in, in years past, we have done a uh, carol service, and then we have done a uh, Sunday morning gathering on Christmas Day. And it's been great to celebrate. But this year, we're just going to take the, you know, uh, four or five weeks of just... Getting into the story, um, exciting ourselves, almost like defragging, you don't say that anymore, do you, but you know, defragging ourselves of all the uh, other stuff in our memory about Christmas that is that what it's not about, and focusing on the, the reason uh, why we have Christmas that gives reason to everything else that we do. So that's what I hope that we will uh, do today. As Calvin said, we're going to be looking at Jesus as our hope, Jesus as our peace, Jesus as love and Jesus as joy. Now, um, filmmakers, the, those four themes, they're, they're massive, aren't they, in, in making films? If you ever go to see a good film, it will probably in one way have something of those elements, either hope, peace, joy, or love in it that, that warms your heart. That's a really good film. You think, I, I like to watch that again. And... Um, I think there's nothing better than true stories. I'm always a true story person. I like made-up stories. They're interesting, but they don't always last in my memory that long. That's why I love reading biographies of, of people uh, who have gone before us. Uh, but when guys make, uh, when filmmakers make um, true story films, and they do it really well, they're one of the best um, experiences that we have. And I don't know if you've come across this film, The Blind Side. And it's a story of, of hope. Here is a, a guy who is taken in by a family who, is, um, who was homeless and had a traumatized youth. And it's the story of how uh, Michael Ona, I think the right way is, uh, Ona, I think maybe is the right way of saying it, his journey from homelessness into becoming an, um, an all-American football player. And how their work in his life, and it's a real story of hope, hope from homeless and in this case, success and fame, 
Um, and so they make great films. And what it teaches us about these films is that in some way, we, well, the reason why we resonate with them is that we all need hope, don't we? There's something about our existence as humans where hope is a very, very significant thing. But the reality is that not m- most stories don't have this ending. Yeah? From homelessness to all-star footballer, success, known wealth. They, they, don't, they don't always have that uh, ending. Um, maybe we have experienced something of that in our, in our own lives. But actually, we enter Christmas. Actually, Christmas can be more of a reminder um, for people, not of what has gone well, but what hasn't gone well. Maybe at Christmas, there's relationships that are broken, and you don't get to spend time with those people because they're broken. And it comes to the forefront, and you realize, you know, I'm not in, you know, I don't have much hope uh, for this uh, relationship. Maybe it's shattered dreams, things that you thought you would do. Maybe it's financial worries. Maybe it's failing health, just to name a few. Christmas can be a time which crystallizes for us there's something wrong with the world. We don't live in a hopeful world. Often we live in a hopeless world, a, a world of despair, a world where the realities of life and what we read in the newspaper is what's really happening. Okay, there might be a bit of embellishment there or a bit of twist on the truth. But these are caricatures of stories that are happening all over the world. And stories yet to be told. Of course, just in the news recently has been about the, uh, the abuse of young boys who have been involved in football. Stories get uncovered, don't they? We don't know they're happening. So we only really hear about the things that are public when they're made public. We don't hear about all these things. And, and may, maybe some of us here are carrying stories that are yet to be told. We haven't spoken with people. We haven't shared with people the things that have taken place, which has led us to a place of despair rather than hope. And so for many, um, despair is more of the reality than hope. I was just doing some research just to think about some of the stats of our our culture. Here are um, some stats just about over the world, actually. And um, it says here, less than half, this is about people with um, depression, less than half, receive treatment, you read that, I can hardly read that now, (laughs) in some countries. It says uh, 350 million people in the world suffer or are affected from depression. And it says here in the UK, mixed anxiety and depression is the most common mental disorder in Britain. Almost 9% of people um, meet the criteria for this for the prognosis of depression. Jo will tell you in her work that it is not uncommon to see children depressed, very young children depressed because of their, the lives that they have. Um, and this is kind of like just a little bit of a picture of, of, the, of the reality of, of, our, of our world, where depression and suicide, here are some stats from 2009. It's the latest survey that they, they do every um, period of time, it's probably due to be updated, it says um, two, 2.6 in, in 100 people have depression, 4.7 um, in 100 people have anxiety, 
7.9, which uh, correlates with this, have a mixed anxiety and depression. 2.6 in every 100 people have phobias. 1.3 people in every 100 uh, have OCD. 1.2 in every 100 people have panic disorder. 1.6 in every 100 have eating disorders. Then going on in um, to think about uh, self-harm and suicide, which is where often this would lead to, uh, or at least thoughts of that, it says 17 in every 100 in their lifetime will have suicidal thoughts. Three in every 100 people will have thoughts of self-harm. This is the reality of our, of our world. And I was doing some research in terms of just reading some of um, the literature around hope um, for those who are involved in psychology um, and working with people. And here's just a couple of quotes I think you might find just interesting about this idea of hope and the nature of hope. It says, hope structures your life in anticipation of the future and influences how you feel in the present. Slim, similar to optimism, hope creates a positive mood about an expectation, a goal, or a future situation. The positive feeling you experience as you look ahead, imagining hopefully what might happen, what you might attain, or who you might be, who you are going to be, can alter how you currently view yourself. So it's just people speaking into the importance of hope in our lives. Hope also shapes your methods of traversing your current situation. The cognitive, the cognitive, let's just say this right. Um, the cognitive associations with hope, how you think about, how you think when you are hopeful are the pathways to the desired goals and reflect a motivation to pursue goals. Better problem-solving abilities have been found in people who are hopeful when compared with low-hope peers. And those who are hoping have a tendency to, cognitively, to be cognitively flexible and able to mentally explore novel situations. So again, just all reinforcing, hope is significant to, the, to our, our humanity. They did some clinical trials as an example of this, where they took like a double blind. They gave you the tablet that did something, they gave you the tablet that did nothing, and they gave you the tablet that gave you the side effects as the tablet that did something. And what they discovered is the tablet that had the side effects, the difference between that one and the, um, one, who, the one that was doing something and had the side effects was almost nigh uh, different. Why? Because there was hope. It's interesting, the article, he said we shouldn't, describe this as the placebo, we should describe this as the hope tablet. <laughs> they, took, they took the tablet, and because they had the side effects, they thought they were on the real one. And they had hope. Hope was produced. And as hope was produced, so they got better. This is not to say that we should only take placebos and con ourselves. But actually, as I'm thinking about it, there's something about the description even of hope in that these guys are giving, which doesn't seem to me to be the same sort of hope that the Bible talks about. In fact, in some ways, we might say that um, some of this sounds a little bit like wishful thinking. You're on the tablet, you hope that you're going to get better, therefore you get better, but you don't have this certainty of a hope. 
And it seems to me that the, when the Bible talks about hope, it talks more about certainty than of uncertainty. Yeah? And this is the big difference I, I want you to take away with it. In fact, it's the springboard of which everything else I'm going to say is that there's a hope in Jesus. There's a hope that we've read about as the Gabriel comes and speaks to Mary that's going to be fulfilled. That's about certainty. We live in a world of uncertainty. No wonder there is depression. No wonder there is anxiety. No wonder there is fear. Because if your certainty is either on yourself or there is no certainty, then anxiety, fear, depression is probably the best and right response to the world. This world is happening around me. It's affecting me. I can control none of it. And therefore, I need to be anxious. I need to think about what I'm going to do about, about this. And I realize I cannot do anything. So, so anxiety seems to be the right response to circumstances or the world that we live in. So as we think about... As we think about hope... For me, there's three ways this word is used. First of all, a desire for something good in the future. So, Boaz might say, I hope my daddy comes home and um, plays trains with me. So, he's thinking, something good is going to happen in the future. Um, I'm going to play trains. <laughs> so, that's one way of describing hope. Another way of describing hope is the thing in the future that we desire. Um, our hope is that John will arrive home safely today. Yes, good. So in other words, John's safe arrival is the object of our hope. Yeah? Not how he gets home or what he does, but just that he will arrive home safely. And thirdly, hope is the reason why our hope might indeed come to pass. So you might say a good tailwind here will help us arrive on time. In other words, the tailwind is the reason we may, in fact, achieve our future goal that we desire. It is, it's our, our only hope of doing it. Does that make sense? So desire for something good in the future, a thing in the future that we desire, and the basis or the reason for thinking that our desire may indeed come to pass. But again, the biblical picture is quite different than those things. Really, the biblical definition of hope is this, a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. There's a certainty about the reality of it taking place. And in some ways, it's completely opposite in terms of how it's going to take place than the way in which we would use that word, or maybe the world might use the word of hope. There's certainty and not uncertainty. So it means, I hope my daddy gets home early. We don't have the certainty that dad will get home early. I hope dad comes back and plays trains with me. He's not sure. Will it or will it not happen? But that's the way we would describe hope. Our hope is that John will arrive home safely. It means we do not know whether John will arrive home safely or not. We hope he does. <laughs> A good tailwind is our only hope for getting, getting back on time. Well, again, we're not really sure if there's going to be a strong tailwind. Maybe the, the wind will change direction and we will not make it back in time. Each of these tells us 
that there is an uncertainty about our hope. But biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. And not only, I suppose then the question is, how can we have that confident hope in it taking place? And here's what the key is, I think, for that confident hope. Is that it's not only in the promise, but the promiser. Yeah? Not only in the promise, but the promiser. So, for instance, there will be people in your life, and you can probably think of them now, not to chastise them, who come to you and you ask them to do something and they make a promise to do something, okay? There'll be some people, when they say they're going to do something, your hope is a lot less than when other people say they're going to do something, yeah? Why? Is it in the something that they're going to do? No. Not necessarily. I mean, maybe they're saying that they're going to do something you don't think they can do. That's slightly different. But in this case, it's more likely that you've had some experience with this person before and, and they've not always proved to be as faithful in doing what they say they're going to do. There's something about who they are that affects the hope that you have. The reason why we can have a certainty of hope is that our hope is not in the thing that Jesus did, but in the person of Jesus and the person of God. The person of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of that person, we can have hope in the promise of what they do. Yeah? Because we know that they say they're going to do something. And this all leads us into this passage because the reality was that God had made a promise. God had made a promise to his people because in the beginning, God had made the world. He made people to be under his care and to take care of them, to flourish, and to enjoy life together. But, the, but Adam and Eve decided that God was not trustworthy, that they thought they would flourish without God, and so they believed the lie that God was keeping something good back from them, and they took it for themselves. They ate that fruit, and with it came in sin, that separation from God, that broken relationship. And then right at the beginning there of Genesis, what we discover, God gives a promise. And there's a promise of one who will come who will receive a blow from Satan, but who will bring the, certain, uh, bring the serpent to death. Yeah? He will crush his head, it says. There's one who's going to come. He's going to crush Satan's head. And the picture of Satan is not just the devil, but also sin and death. It's works and effects. Everything that came through the lie that the devil told. And so... There's hope right at the beginning. Now, interestingly, I was trying to think, were Adam and Eve before the fall hopeful, hopeful people? Or did they, was there no need for hope? I'll let you ponder on that. I didn't come up with the answer. But there was a need for hope. Straight away, God recognized these people need some hope. Before they were with me, they were enjoying life together. They needed not to worry about anything. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was nothing in the world. It was great. But now, these people are going to need some hope because what I'm going to do isn't going to take place. It's going to be in the future. So he gives them some hope. He tells them something that he's going to do. And as if we follow biblical history, what we're going to find out is that God repeats and expounds on that promise over and over again. 
most significantly to Abraham when he says to Abraham, you are going to be a blessing to all nations. And through you, your offspring, which is going to be multiple and, and plentiful, I'm, I'm going, that blessing is going to come. And I'm going to give you some land that's going to be yours. No longer will you be uh, sojourners in this world, but you will have a land, a place, and there will be a kingdom, and I will put a king on that throne. And it was always God's plan in the beginning that he was going to be the king. Yeah? He was going to be the king, and people were going to live under his care in that place, and that nation then would be a light to all the other nations so that they could see that there was only one true, just, and great king, and that is God himself. But I don't know if you remember They cry out to God, we want kings like other nations. Give us a king. And God's like, whoa, you don't need a king. I'm the king. But they persist, and he says, okay. And they chose Saul amongst themselves. And then David, uh, God said, he's not my king that I'm going to put on your throne. I'm going to put David on the throne. And we hear mentioned here that the one who's to come is going to take on the people or the throne of David and the throne of Jacob, uh, the uh, people of Jacob. So here we see there's a promise that this is the fulfillment of the promise that, is, that, that started in Genesis and goes all the way through the Bible. And as we read the prophets, what we're going to see is the prophets calling people to believing, uh, back to believing in the promise. God is the one. He's going to take care of him. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, things will go well. He will be our king. We will be under him. We will flourish as individuals, but also as communities and as a nation. And things will go well with us. There were blessings and curses that were connected to the promise. If you do this, it will go well. If you don't do this, it won't go well. So God sowed in right at the beginning of humanity hope. Because he knew that we would need hope. But he knew that we would need a hope that was certain and steadfast. He knew that we needed one to do something that we couldn't do. And we read here that this hope was Jesus. Interestingly, What happens when kind of hope fails? Well, the Pharisees are a kind of picture of when hope fails. You see, the Pharisees understood the reason why they were taken into exile um, a whole number of times and how they were then at this point under Roman rule was because they didn't keep the law perfectly. They weren't doing what God had asked them to do. They were receiving the uh, curses, as it were, of God's promise rather than the blessings. And in one sense, their, their first part of diagnosis is we've not been his people is right. But what they decided to do to make sure that, um, that they, they would fulfill his promises and that the Messiah would come. And they believed that the non-fulfillment of the law, not living rightly, was the reason why the Messiah had not yet come. And so they made all these laws. They took the Ten Commandments. They made law after law after law after law and law. And they said, look, if we can be good people... If we can hope in ourselves, then the Messiah will come. And before we have Gabriel here, there's 400 years of silence. God does not speak. He doesn't speak. As the hope has dwindled. They don't know 
when they're going to be rescued from this occupation um, by the Roman Empire. So Gabriel comes and he speaks into it. I've really only got two very simple, well, three very simple things to say, which are so simple that even I can get. Okay. As we read this, what we realize is that our hope is in King Jesus, who is the Son of the Most High God. Let me just read from verse 30, if you've got your Bibles there, open that up. It says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of your, his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what do we discover about this Messiah? We discover that he is the, the son of the Most High God. So this is not any ordinary child who's coming. This is what Gabriel's saying. This is not you having a baby, yeah? Just of human descent. But this is somebody who's going to be of God. This is God himself, the son of the most high God will come. And he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the one who comes and he rescues um, the people. And they were long awaiting this Messiah. Now for, for, the, for, the, for the Jews, they thought it was going to be that a revolution that would bring a physical kingdom. They didn't realize what God was going to do was not just bring a temporal uh, kingdom, but, but a permanent kingdom. Listen to what it said here. It says, for his kingdom, there will be no end. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. So what he's going to do now is a permanence. It's not a temporary thing. It's not a piece of land that somebody's going to take off you. It's going to be something that he does to his people, the people of Jacob, the people of David. This is a sort of caricature for the people of God. He's going to do something that's going to form a kingdom that will last forever. And of course, we know that because we've got hindsight, we're not, you know, we're not just stuck with Jesus as a baby. We know that Jesus lives the perfect life, dies the perfect death, rescues all those who would believe in him by his victory over sin and his resurrection. And now that he's ascended um, to the throne, he is the living King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Yes, he is. So we have a sure and steadfast hope. We're not going into something that might be good today and gone tomorrow. That somebody can rob from us or take from us. No, our hope is in King Jesus, the living King Jesus, the reigning King Jesus, who is God himself, the Son of the Most High God. That's why we can have a certainty of hope, guys. For those of us who love Jesus, we have a certainty. It's not a vain hope or a wishful thinking but it's a steadfast hope that propels us into the future with great freedom to live lives that um, powerfully impact others and not just seek to serve us. You see, if you don't have hope, the reality is that you'll just seek to serve yourself. You have to. Nobody else is working on your behalf, so you've got to work on your behalf. You can't be generous in giving away the things that God has given to us. Why? Because 
You don't know whether you're going to have those things in the future. So you've got to keep hold of them. Hope produces hope in us, but it produces lots of other things in us. And I think living a free life or living with freedom is just a great way of describing the life that God brings to us. So I've, been, I've come to give life, life to the fullness. Whoever finds me finds life, Proverbs tells us. And we've been learning. And it's an abundant life. It's not a, like a, 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 a kind of like a, a, medi- a mediocre life. It's life's the full that God wants for us. And he says if we take hold of his promises, if we believe in him, notice it doesn't say in the Bible, if you believe just in what Jesus has done, you can be saved. No, it says believe in Jesus. Yeah? And because you believe in Jesus, you believe in what he says he's done. That's what brings life to us. Secondly, in this passage, uh, we discover this. Our hope is in God, the Father, and the Spirit for whom nothing is impossible. If we need to read the next section, there's a conversation here where Mary says, are you sure? Uh, you know, um, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. You don't need to worry about this. It's going it's to happen. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Yeah, again, just another way of saying the Holy Spirit is going to produce the child, and this child is going to be perfect. It's going to be holy. It's going to be set apart. It's going to be the Messiah, Jesus, the Holy One, God himself with flesh on. And then almost just to encourage her uh, that God can do this, he says, well, you know, well, you, you know your, uh, your auntie is quite old and has been barren for many, many years. Well, she's already six months you know, pregnant. When you go and see her, then you, then you know that, you, that what I say is true. Because I'm, I'm promising something, I want to show you I can do the impossible. The things that you thought were impossible and you just need some evidence for, yeah? Uh, you go and see it. And so off she goes to see them. And uh, we'll look at this in a few moments, but Mary's response is lovely. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God is the God of the impossible. He brings hope where there is despair. Yeah? If you are in despair or anxiety or there is some uh, uh, fear or depression in our lives, God will bring hope. Now, is it a magic pill? As in like everything disappears? No, sometimes we have to keep on believing in it and it will produce this stuff. I'm not talking about, just to be clear, uh, a clinical depression where maybe there are other reasons in the way in which our body works. That, uh, but I'm just talking about a healthy mind. That when God produces hope in our lives, the way in which we see the world is different. The way in which we interact with the world is different. The way in which we live is different. God can do the impossible. Do you believe that? Maybe there are broken relationships in your life. God can bring repair. Maybe there are financial worries. God can provide. God can do the impossible. 
God makes the impossible possible. Now, does that mean he always does exactly what we want when we want it and how we want it? No, he, he knows even more, not just what we think we need, but what we really need. And he does those things. Clearly the most impossible thing is to take something or people who are unclean like ourselves and make them clean. What Jesus on the cross does seems that we, are, we can come back into relationship with God. Seems completely impossible. But Jesus does it. He lives that perfect life. If I said to you, okay, right, um, until tea time tonight, I never want you to do anything. I don't want you to do anything that's wrong. I want you to think of bad thoughts. Um, you know, I don't do anything. You're probably going to struggle for a couple of hours, aren't you? You go, oh, I wish I didn't do that. You get angry with yourself about it. But Jesus did what seemed impossible. He lived that perfect life. And then he went to the cross, sacrificing himself, willingly going to that cross, which again, for humans, seems impossible to, get, to be such a humble, sacrificial person. But Christ does it for us. And then finally, so Jesus is our hope. God does what seems impossible. And then finally, the response to it is this. Our hope, our certain hope in God will produce evidential fruit. You might say, how do I know a hope in God? Yeah? Well, here's a, a couple of bits from Mary's life straight away that we see. The first thing that we see is humble obedience. She says, doesn't she, I am your servant. Let it be according to your word. There's a recognition when we have a hope in God. We say, you know what? You're so great, God. You're so, you're so awesome. You're so much higher than me. You know what? I'm just, I, I just want to do whatever you want me to do because you promised to do these things and, to, and for it to come to be. Whatever it is that I need to do for this to come to be, let me do it. If you're the one who can remove despair, tell me what you need me to do. Let me do it. You, can, you only do that if you have a certain and steadfast hope in the one who promises to do it. So Mary responds with that. But also, and not just Mary, um, but we see Elizabeth, um, her auntie, and celebrating and delighting for Mary. And it's clear to see that Elizabeth believes, believes the promise. Yeah? She's like, yeah, my st- when you came and you told us what God had said, the little baby inside me gave me a, a little leap for joy. And I believe it. I believe what God has said to you. I believe that you're going to be the, the that you are the, the blessed woman of God who's going to give birth to the Messiah. And there's a praising and there's a celebration, there's a delight. You can just hear it in the way in which Elizabeth is talking to, to Mary. When we fix our hope in God, Delight and praise follows. Delight and praise follows. And that delight and praise is not just merely vertical, but it's horizontal. Yeah? It's something that we then bring to other people. Mary, you know, Elizabeth doesn't, doesn't keep it inside and say, hmm, that's very good. <laughs> Wish it was me. You know, <laughs> she's like, fantastic. You know, and she shares it with Mary and says, look, how great is our God. You are blessed. God has blessed you. God is a good God. He's a great God. And what he's done is amazing. I just want to, I just want to declare that before you, know, before you and before God, what he's done and said he's going to do is amazing. 
We need to be those sort of people that celebrate what God has done, what God is doing in our lives. Why? Because we hope in him. Our God is the one in which we hope, and that hope produces delight and celebration and praise, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And then finally, abundant blessings flow. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. When you hope in God, that comes through a belief that that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, blessings follow. And I, don't, don't worry, I'm not getting, I'm not getting all Pentecostal here. Yeah? <laughs> and I, I don't mean in a negative kind of like, you just claim it and it's all yours, brothers and sisters. I'm just saying that there's a connection between knowing God and the blessings coming. You know, because he wants you to flourish. He wants you to do, do well, not just not for your, not primarily for yourself in the sense of like, in the way in which the world views it, but you would draw near to him, that you would experience life with him, and as you experience life with him, you would enjoy life because your eyes are fixed on the one who can give you life, the one who makes life make sense and give meaning to everything else that we do. That's the sort of blessing that I'm talking about. Our hope is certain and true. It's a real hope in Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the rescuer who has come down from heaven, taken on human flesh, who lived a perfect life, who died a perfect death, to gain victory over sin and death for us so that we might have life, life to abundance. That's the hope that we have in God. It is the only hope that will make sense of your life. It is the only hope that will last. It's the only hope that is certain and true. If you haven't done it, you need to put your life, your hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because in Jesus, who is the king and will be the king, we're told that he's going to come and rule and reign. And again, this is not about Jesus having some sort of like, Um, bow to Jesus because he just wants his people. No, he is the creator of the world. He loves you. That's why he made you. His, His focus is for our flourishment and our care. So this is not like give your life to Jesus because like um, he's a hard taskmaster who's going to come again and give you a whooping. It's it's, no, give your life to Jesus because he loved you and he showed that he loved you because he died on the cross and he wants you to be part of his family and part of his care and give you a great life now and for the future. For those of us who already know Jesus, we're reminded if we're having a difficult time like the the psalmist in, in Psalm 42 and 43, when he describes what's going on, he says, yet I will put my trust in God. The world around seems crazy. Things are happening that are out of my control, but yet I put my trust in God, who is my salvation. Let me finish with these words. I invite... Are we singing first or some communion first? Is it communion first or singing? Singing. If you want to come up, that'd be great. Let me just read this. Just to encourage us. 1 Peter 1, 
verses 3 and 5, says this. Praise be to God and Father, to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. To the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. We have a living hope. His name is Jesus. Let's put our trust in him. Let's hope in him. Let's not put our hope in ourselves or the things of this world or in other people, for they will let us down. But Jesus is the sure and steadfast hope, the living hope, who has redeemed us so that we might know the hope that only he can give. I'm going to pray and then we're going to just move into a time of worship. Father, we thank you that you are a great God. You're an awesome God. You're an amazing God. As we read these words um, and this story of how Mary received this exciting news that she would be involved in, um, in, in the hope of the world coming, um, we just thank you that you so loved us that you would give your one and only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life, life to the full. And so, Father, we want to hope in you. We believe you are the hope of this world, not just for us, but for this world around us, for those who we know who are trapped in despair, in difficulty, in relationship breakdown, in financial difficulty, in uh, anxiety, who have had thoughts of leaving this life we pray that you would be the light that shines in the darkness for these people and for ourselves. So we ask this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.